0: Welcome to the Thriving Birth Worker Podcast, a space for conversations about how you, the birth worker, can create not only a fulfilling and sustainable career, but a joyful and thriving life. I'm Erin Underwood, an educator, movement specialist, mother of four boys, and a total anatomy nerd. My passion is to see birth workers encouraged, supported, and empowered in their careers and life. Welcome, friends. So... Welcome to today's podcast. Today's podcast is a heavy one. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the update, then I suggest that you pause this, jump back and just listen to the last little episode that I recorded. It's real short, but it just gives you a little snapshot, a little update into the last several months that I have been on a hiatus and what's been going on in my life and my business. And uh, I just want to Let everyone know that today's topic is going to be a heavy one. I want to take a moment to have you personally pause and check in with your own heart before we just charge right into this topic and my story. So I'm going to be sharing the story of my miscarriage. I'm going to be pretty raw, real, and vulnerable. And I'm going to be sharing details as well. So if this isn't something your heart needs right now, I want you to feel free to just hit pause and move on to another episode. But I do think it's important that we all just check in and acknowledge where our hearts are at right now, because especially I understand the last several months I've had to definitely take time to pause and check in with myself. And there are some days where I'm good to talk about my story. And there are some days where it's just not, uh, I'm not in that space. So even Choosing what day to record this podcast, um, I had to be pretty intentional about that and just kind of slow down and ask myself if I was ready to do this. So, today is a day where I can do this. So, like I said, I kind of filled in a little bit of the backstory in the update podcast that, that I recorded just before this. So, let's get into it. A little bit of my personal backstory. So, I have miscarried twice before. And both of them were pretty early or halfway through the first trimester. So my very first was the first baby that I conceived and I miscarried at five weeks. So really, really early on. And then my second miscarriage was at eight weeks. So both carried quite a bit of sadness and certain levels of trauma. And after both, I was able to conceive again within a few months. So I was young and both pregnancies felt off. And something just in my heart just felt like it wasn't meant to be. And I was able to trust the process in my body with both of those losses. So while they were hard and I grieved them, there was a certain level of trauma that I didn't experience with those that I did with this last miscarriage. So, you know, all of us have our stories, all of us respond differently. And I'm not here to say, late miscarriages are harder than early miscarriages. They're all just hard and we don't need to compare our trauma. It just is. Um, but it was a really, my this last time around was a different experience for me, even compared to my other experiences. So in sequence, I've had one miscarriage, two healthy full-term boys, another miscarriage, two healthy full-term boys, and now my most recent miscarriage. So after my last live birth, almost five years ago now, I am that gave birth to a beautiful nine-pound little boy who almost at forty-two weeks, he was comfortable in there, so he was full term. Um, my body needed a break to rehab after that birth. I had diastasis recti, pelvic organ prolapse, and very other various other physical ailments that needed. I needed some time to recuperate, right. and it took me about two years to feel really strong in my pelvic floor again, which I was fine with. And I was ready to invest in that time and do that work. But then I had some high blood pressure issues and other hormonal stuff that was going on. And it took me three or four years to get to the root of it. It took me a while to really um, not just I didn't want a Band-Aid approach. I wanted to actually heal and not just mask it, the symptoms. So I really was willing to take the time and dial it in and um So I wasn't technically infertile over those six years that I wasn't pregnant, but my body wasn't in a place where I felt like it was strong for me to get pregnant, even though I wanted to. And so it was a long and often discouraging journey. And I don't think that is often talked about. There's infertility and then there's where your body's just not ready ready to get pregnant, even though you technically could. And that's a, it was a hard, it felt kind of lonely. It felt, um, misunderstood. And so and there's also that pressure of, I felt like there's that ticking clock of time of just slipping by and both myself and my other boys were aging. I wanted, you know, ideally I wanted the boys to be closer in age and it wasn't the plan in my head when I thought of how I wanted to grow my family. So we had always wanted at least six kids and to feel like I had to put paw, hip paws on that plan for six years was something I had to do a lot of work on pretty often to feel at peace about. So then after a few, I don't know, maybe six months of feeling really strong and having dialed in the root cause of my blood pressure and feeling really good, we found out in August of 2020, we were pregnant and we were all, my whole crew, we were all so excited So, my pregnancy progressed pretty normally at first. So, slight nausea, but nothing massive. And I was going to my nature path regularly to get monitored and supported. I felt it felt so special to feel like I was able to do all the things I didn't even know about in my last pregnancies, the last few times I've been pregnant, because I've been educating myself constantly over the last six years. So, I had like this long list of things that I wanted to do to support myself, but it was like, fun. It wasn't something I felt a lot of pressure to do. It was something I was actually excited to do. So then in late September in Oregon here, and in many other places, there was a lot of forest fires. And we had some forest fires really close to where we live. And a few days before these forest fires really got crazy, I started spotting. So it was super light. But my doctor put me on total bed rest and gave me some homeopathic medicine to take to support my uterus and my baby. And the spotting lasted a a full week. So it stayed really light. It stayed really light in color. There was no clotting. Um, And it was between my seven and eight week mark, which if you know statistics, it's spotting happens pretty often in this stage of the pregnancy if it's going to happen. So... Zoom out, I'm already stressed about the pregnancy and the baby and the air quality is just atrocious. I mean, the air is orange. If you look outside, it's just crazy how bad our air quality was. And so then we have to evacuate. (laughs) So my husband is running around the house taking videos for insurance purposes in case our house burns down. We're having conversations about like, okay, what do we pack? Because what's like, you know, that conversation of like, what do you take with you? (laughs) We had those conversations. So we're packing hard drives and finding birth certificates and, you know, doing the thing that you just really aren't necessarily super prepared for and don't want to do. But that whole time I'm having to like lay in bed and try not to be stressed because I'm trying to get my body to relax, my uterus to relax and for this to keep my baby inside and to not, you know, increase my spotting. And so it was, the timing of it was kind of intense. (laughs) So we were able to safely evacuate and stay at my parents' home, which was a huge blessing. And while I laid in their extra bed for the rest of the week, and then after that week, the spotting stopped. So everything seemed to be back on track. My belly kept growing. My nausea still hit every now and then. And then I got to hear his beautiful heartbeat at 13 weeks. So everything just... Seemed to point to the fact of like, hey, sometimes we spot at people spot at the seven to eight week mark or different points. And it was fine. It looked like it was fine. So I, my excitement started to grow again. I felt really excited about going through this process with my students. So in my online studio, I dreamed up this pregnancy exercise class series where I filmed each trimester as it happened kind of filming it in real time and sharing what was working in my own body, along with all the specialized education that I've gathered over the last six years I've trained with spinning babies. I've taken a lot of um, specialized education in this field. And so to not only be able to share it with my clients, but also like use it on myself was really exciting. And I you know, thought ahead, I'm a planner. So I'm imagining sharing my birth story and the postpartum timeframe up and downs and what it's like to go through pregnancy and delivery after healing from a prolapse. I just had all these plans. So I had filmed my first trimester and then around 15 weeks, I filmed quite a bit of the second trimester classes. So I knew my belly was gonna keep growing. It was pretty early in the second trimester, but I had the energy, I had the time. I was like, I'm just gonna film the second trimester and um, wait till the third trimester where my belly's sizable to film that one. So my belly continued to grow and we announced our pregnancy publicly at the 14 week mark. And because that belly was just getting harder and harder to hide. (laughs) And then the night of the beginning of my 17th week of pregnancy, I started to bleed. So I had a tiny spot in the afternoon of blood and uh, my heart sunk. I just, I kind of pretended it wasn't there, but I just part of my heart started knowing like, this isn't good, and I just felt off and awful the rest of the day. And so after dinner, like all of dinner, I just felt really cruddy. Like I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just like, almost like the flu, but without the flu symptoms. Like that type of full body, like just feeling really not good. And so after dinner, my husband's like, just go lay down. I'll take care of the boys. I'll play with them and then get them to bed and you can just rest. And so I went to lay down and I think read a book or something. And then I went to the bathroom around 640, almost before seven o'clock at night. And I was bleeding. Like I was, it was red and it was quite well, a large spot. And I knew like more was coming. Like every time I went to the bathroom and I wiped, like there's more and more coming. And my heart just knew it was the beginning of the end. So I text my husband, like, I need you. Um, and he came running up. I wanted to protect the kids. I didn't want them to see me or worry about me in that space at that time. And so he came up and he called our nature path, and he was like, okay, you know, hey, you know, lay in the bed, legs up, take these homeopathics to try and get your uterus to relax. But really at this point, there was nothing we could do. So then over the next only one hour, I went from barely, you know, bleeding to almost hemorrhaging. So I was ramping. It was basically contractions and the bleeding progressed to, I mean, the, it was a lot. It was basically I was hemorrhaging. There was tons of clotting, there was tons of blood, and it was I was watching because in my mind, I'm like, I am very close to hemorrhaging. This is something we need to really pay attention to. um part of me wanted to do it privately and not go to the hospital if we didn't have to, but the other part of me is like having and i mean, I'm also going trying not to go into shock, but the other part of me is like really trying to pay attention to you know that the birth worker mind the the um that part of your brain that i don't think ever turns off i was just kind of going through the checklist of like we i really am very close to just having to go to the emergency room and so my husband was able to kind of back and forth like go get the kids to bed and come back and um i was finally just wound up just on the toilet cuz it was such a mess and um, around a little after eight, I started having stronger contraction and I started to deliver. I could feel him descending. And I told my husband he was coming. And internally at this point, I panicked. So I was, I wasn't ready to do this delivery on my own. Like my husband was there, but neither one of us were ready to like kind of take charge and and facilitate a birth you know a stillbirth it wasn't stillbirth 17 weeks is technically still a miscarriage but i knew i would be delivering a, a baby body like it wouldn't be just um an unidentifiable clot i was definitely far enough along where it wasn't like when i miscarried at eight weeks it was like i wasn't sure when the baby came away because it was so early and with this one I was like I knew like <laughs> I would know and I would have to hold him and I would have to decide what to do with his body I would just, like the whole thing all of a sudden it hit me and I just totally went into panic and so because I wasn't ready my body honored me and my cervix completely closed up when the birth ha- sac was only halfway out of me so you know our bodies are at this point in time I didn't See it this way, I was still in shock and wasn't sure what was going on, but our bodies are amazing. And my body really did honor my signals. And when I signaled that I wasn't ready, my body stopped the process for me. Um, so my cervix closed up, and the birth sac is halfway out of me and half still inside of me, being like cinched at the cervix. And he, the birth stack hadn't broke yet. So everything is just intact, but halfway delivered. So I am also, so at this point I'm in shock. At this point, I've lost quite a bit of blood. And I'm also an individual who has suffered prolapse. So I wasn't a hundred percent sure that that bulge was the birth stack. Like I thought it was, but then I was like, I don't know what part of of me is coming out. I don't know if it's the birth psych, I don't know if it's something else, an organ that shouldn't be coming out. Um, and you know, I was just fighting shock at this point. And so, um, at this point we're like, we need to just go to the emergency room because I kind of, I pushed a little bit, but I wasn't hundred percent sure of that. I should be pushing and it wasn't budging my, I mean, my cervix just completely closed up at that point. So it's, cool looking back and realizing my subconscious wanted someone there to take care of me in that space and kind of allow myself to go into shock rather than fighting to keep my mind active and engaged and kind of having to play that role for myself. And so my husband's really amazing, but he doesn't really know a whole lot about supporting a late-term miscarriage, technically speaking. So my husband called some of our best friends who live like five minutes away and so they could be with the kids while we go to the ER. And this part is kind of a blur because I really was in shock at this point. But I know they got there super fast. And I mean I sat on a huge towel in the car and I had another towel in my pants to catch all the blood. Um and on the right I was like sitting on my side hip because I couldn't just sit normally with the birth sack half out of me. I had to Waddle into the ER alone while my husband parked the car and tell the woman at the front desk that I was in the middle of a late term miscarriage and that I had already started to deliver and that the baby was halfway out. My husband quickly joined me right after he parked the car and the ER nurse, they checked. They were very kind. Everyone was so kind at the hospital. This is something I'm really, truly grateful for. The ER nurse checked me in quickly and my husband was able to stay with me even through this COVID stuff, which I was really thankful for. The ER doctor, this is where I did get a little nervous because the ER doctor took one look at um, my vagina and the burst sac and everything. And she just looked terrified. She told me not to move because she didn't want whatever that was to burst. And so that's where I started actually panicking a tiny bit because I was partly sure that it was a burst sac, But then part of me was like, OK, I have prolapse before, like, who knows? Um, I couldn't see at that point, like I couldn't get a good visual of what was going on on my own body. And then to have a doctor basically somewhat panic and say, I don't know what that is coming out of you. I was like, oh no, like what's going on? Like I I knew it was miscarriage, but I didn't know what else was going on in addition to that. So from the start of the miscarriage, I started shaking like really hard, like um, like if you're shivering really in a hard way where you can't stop it. So neurogenic shaking is something that the body, it's a body's natural response to processing trauma. So this is me kind of getting into teacher mode for just a second. Um, if you've ever watched like a nature show and seen one animal attack another, and then the attacked animal escapes, more often than not, if they'll keep rolling the video, you'll see that the animal who escaped will get to a place where they feel safe and then they'll do this full body shake. And this is a way of releasing trauma, a physical way of releasing trauma. I think sometimes we think of trauma and we only think of the emotional side of things, but we do carry trauma in our bodies. And I was going through a very physical and traumatic experience in addition to it being emotional and psychological, like it's all of it. Um, But this is one vague way for our body to release that traumatic energy. You can call this woo-woo, but really it's all backed up by science. And I can list in the bottom of this podcast some books that um, are really interesting to read. One of them is like Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Another one is uh, waking or something about a tiger. I'll have to look it up. Um, but there's quite a few really interesting books that I've read about how our physical and our emotional are so interconnected. And so anyway, because I've studied all this and I knew all this, and I actually personally practice neurogenic shaking from time to time just to help regulate my internal energy when I feel extra stressed or traumatized or helpless or just full of bottled up energy. So because I knew all of this and I've used this as a tool to support myself, when I noticed it happening automatically, I did not try and stop it. So I didn't feel ashamed. I didn't feel awkward. I was also in shock, so I wasn't like overly analyzing myself, but I did feel like it was a way I was able to regulate my emotions in an environment surrounded by strangers who are very kind strangers in a hospital, in a situation I had no control over, but I wished with my entire being wasn't happening. So all the nurses kept asking me if I was cold, if they want, if I want an extra blanket, they're very attentive and kind. And I was able to give the short answer of no, my body is releasing trauma. And everyone understood immediately, or at least they seemed to, um, we were in an ER setting. So they see trauma all the time. And since this is a natural response, I'm sure they see it often, but it was helpful to be able to put it into words and to trust my body in the middle of this loss. So, um, I think sometimes it's important. This education of the body is so important because I think sometimes the body responds in a really healthy way. And we just think it's a movement has been labeled and put into so many boxes And we want to control so much. And I think a lot of people, when they have this shaking happening, they think I'm having a panic attack or I'm having an anxiety attack, um, which maybe it coincides with that. But we think we label it bad and we label it like not good. And so we try and stop it or we try and control it. But for me to be able to just kind of give into the process and let myself release this traumatic energy in the situation I felt like was the only way I could describe it internally is it feels like when you're shaking a soda bottle and you release some of the energy with the cap, you just let a little bit out, a little bit out, a little bit out. That's how I felt like that shaking was helping me regulate. It felt like the emotions and the trauma and the shock, like it would grow, and it would the pressure would start to build, and then I was able to release a little bit of pressure release a little bit of pressure, release a little bit of pressure, and help regulate it through the process so that was that was an interesting thing that popped up that I wasn't expect- i mean I wasn't expecting the whole situation, but that was something that I hadn't experienced in such a strong way before, and so that was i found that interesting so because the e r doctor was so confused about what she was seeing externally. She ordered an ultrasound. And because of COVID restrictions, my husband couldn't come directly to that. So I knew at this point uh, my baby was gone, um, but that there was no way that he could have survived so much blood loss and clotting. But honestly, there's always that tiny piece of hope until it's completely confirmed. So that got rolled through the hospital and taken to the room and the technician turned the screen away so I couldn't see and quietly took quite a few images. And finally I was just spoke up and said, I know technically you can't tell me much, but honestly, is there, can you just tell me anything? Is there anything you can tell me? And he was so kind and he was so, he was sad for me and just said, I'm so sorry, but your womb is empty and there's no heartbeat. And so like part of me knew and it didn't hit me too hard because I was still in shock. So I was just trying to hold it all together at this point. Like I was just trying to not let my mind or emotions go crazy. I was just trying to, I mean, I'm, I'm alone. I'm trying to advocate for myself. As, I mean, not that I had to advocate for myself, but I had to, I just felt like the need to just not let my mind go crazy and to just try and stay with it. And so, um, the technician took a bunch of images, um, externally and then rolled me back to the ER and I am, I'm not a crier in public type of person, especially, um, with people I don't know very well. I'm a pretty private person with my deepest and rawest feelings in the moment. Like after I've processed them, I'm a pretty open person like this podcast but in the moment when i'm really raw and really vulnerable i'm very have a very very short list of people i'm willing to um let into that space um but that was that was the nail in the coffin that was the my baby was gone for 100% for sure i was delivering a baby that had already passed and while i knew it based off of what had happened over the last few hours i also I hadn't wanted to allow myself to know it fully, so I held my husband's hand and whispered that the baby was gone, and the tears slid down my cheek as I sat in that pain and grief, but I was also still in shock. It was about probably 10.30 at night at this point, and the our doctor told me that they were planning on transferring me to the labor and delivery wing to have an OB take care of my care, and the transfer took about an hour. At 1130, a very kind OBGYN doctor um, assessed me and said, was the first person to speak with confidence about exactly what was happening with my body and exactly what was seen. And that confidence was a huge relief for me to go from a doctor who looks terrified at your body and says, I don't know what's going on. Don't move um, to someone who is able to really kindly and just confidently say this is exactly what's going on was huge. Um and so she just said you've gone into labor, um you've halfway delivered the birth sac it's still intact and your cervix closed back up you're not fully dilated and you need to dilate further to be able to complete the delivery. And she had me give a few pushes to confirm. She's like, yeah you're not ready to push yet you're you're still pretty your cervix needs to dilate more. I was having mild contractions but I nothing super strong. So after about a half hour, they were able to give me um, a pill, a medication to stimulate contractions that would last about six hours in my system. So it wasn't Pitocin because my Pitocin receptors this early in pregnancies, your Pitocin receptors aren't, um, they're not, they're not functional yet. They're not fully functional yet. So Pitocin doesn't work in really early, um, trying to facilitate a really early birth like that. So it was something else. I don't remember what it was. Again, shock. So she gave it to me and just recommended that I rest. And I was having mild contractions. Um, and they. I just rested and felt them doing their work. She encouraged me to rest. And so I laid in bed and labored. Um, and about two, a little after two in the morning, my contractions were feeling pretty regular and pretty strong. So I called the nurse uh, who called the doctor and told her I'd like to push. I'd like to try. Like, it feels like I'd like to see if I can do a little bit of work while my body is doing this work and see if it would. Um. Yeah. So this is a prime example. She asked me if I'd like to push. The doctor did. And so this is a prime example of empowering a woman in a really awful situation. So she she also asked me how I'd like to push like in what position. So, she waited until I said I was ready and then asked how I'd like to progress. And it's really powerful to empower someone in a situation where most of the situation feels disempowering. So I was in a situation that I didn't have control over. I was in a situation where I so many things were happening outside of my control. And that the few things I did have control over the doctor like was very intentional about letting me have control over those things in her language and in the questions she asked me. She did not come in and say, "Okay, it's time to push Yeah, I'd like you to just get to the edge of the bed." like she didn't give me directions like that. She said, "Okay, do you think you're ready to push?" and what position do you think would work the best for you for your body and that was probably one of the greatest gifts she could have given me in that moment, so to feel that level of empowerment in that type of situation was, I mean, that was, honestly, it was emotionally overwhelming in that in that space. Um, so I chose a birth stool. So I got out of the bed and I got onto the stool and I could feel like I could work with my body best in that position rather than on my back. And after about five or 10 minutes of pushing, I mean, the timing again, is really blurry. Um, it wasn't that long. I felt the birth sac descend and most of the way out, it burst and my baby and the sack were caught by the doctor. She carefully took him over to a tub across the room and I sat in shock. Um, the doctor came back and see, you know, had me push a little bit more and see if we could deliver the placenta. But at that point, it wasn't budging. Um, I, the placenta was still retained. So she recommended that I rest. Um, I wasn't bleeding profusely or anything and just a little bit. And so she said she'd like to see if any of these contractions that were still coming would help move the placenta. And if not, we would assess what to do in the morning. She was really good at not just throwing out like we're going to have to take this step and this precaution. And she was just we'll see. We'll see. We'll just trust your body. We'll see how it goes. Um, So she did ask if I wanted to see my baby in that moment and made it clear that it wasn't a decision that needed to be made right then in that space and she asked if she if we would like to know what she observed by looking at our baby so we told her we weren't quite ready to look at him yet i mean again shock um and she told she told me that it looked like he had passed away about 2 weeks earlier because there was some decay And she didn't use the word decay. She was really careful with her words. Um, But honestly, I don't remember exactly how she phrased it. But I just remember the point of what she shared with us. And she, she said she looked, he looked a little bit small for 17 weeks, but there was no obvious reason for his passing, no signs of any malformations or anything like that. And then she left us to rest. And my belly was mostly empty at this point and i really really didn't want to get a dnc i really wanted to pa- pass the placenta easily and just go home at this point i am the shock is coming in waves but when it wasn't full on i was just like i want to be home like i want to be in my own bed i want to grieve in a place where i feel safe so as i was falling asleep i remember i just prayed I just asked God, I was like, God, if you could just scrape my uterus for me. So just let the work be done while I rest so that when I wake up, everything would just pass easily. I just want to go home. I don't want to be here for the rest of the day. I don't want to have to go through another procedure. Or Like at this point, I'm just so done. So at around oh, 530, I woke up and I, so I got a little bit of sleep there, probably two hours. And I had to go to the bathroom pretty badly. So I called the nurse and she brought in, I don't know what they're called, one of those little catchers for the toilet so that if anything passes, it can be checked. And I went to the bathroom and my placenta, everything just came out super easily. I didn't even have to push. Just when I went to the bathroom, everything came out. So that was a small answer to prayer. And sometimes I think those small answers to prayer in dark times can be, it's just a blessing. I just felt like it was God whispering like I'm here, like you're not alone. So they said they'd want to observe me for another hour, but they they didn't see any reason for me not to go home after that. My husband and I knew that the kids would wake up around seven. So when we live about just 10 minutes from the hospital, so we both felt really strongly that they needed one of us to be present when they woke up. Um, They knew that mommy was bleeding and they knew that we had gone to the hospital and we knew that they were scared. Um... So my mama instinct kicked in and I told my husband, I want you to go home and I want you to be with them until I'm discharged. So he did. He woke them up and answered their questions and held them while they cried and reassured them that I would be okay and but I would just need time to heal and told them that we were going to grieve this loss for a while and that would be normal too. So at around eight, they discharged me. They told me I could go. So I walked down the labor and delivery ward. Went, you know, hallway alone with my belly empty and my arms empty. It was a really, it hit me hard. That walk hit me hard. So my husband brought me a breakfast muffin for the car ride home because he knew I was starving. And I went home and I held my precious babies close and I cried and I ate some more food. And then I just went to bed and I slept till like four My parents brought us dinner later that day and my brain felt fuzzy. Like I'd lost a lot of blood. I was exhausted both physically and emotionally and I still felt like the shock hadn't worn off yet. I was able to go to bed at a normal time and sleep again through the night. So what was my healing and recovery like? So I'm gonna cover that in the next episode. I'm trying to space these topics out so that folks can pick and choose what topics they're interested in in listening to and what they're up to listening to. So often after a miscarriage, we want to know how to support them. We can't make it better as in change what happened. And we don't want to make a mistake and make things worse. And I understand that. So I'm going to be sharing what was helpful to me, but I'm also going to share what I've learned from connecting with and talking with other women who have gone through miscarriages as well and what their healing and grief journey look like. So that's my personal journey. But now, what does that mean for my business side of things? So if you're new here, I'm a functional movement coach, and I've got into this world after I healed from prolapse and diastasis recti with functional movement. And I did copious amounts of training and certifications once I figured out what I wanted to do when I grew up. So in September, I had my next year and a half planned out personally and professionally. And then in that night in November, it was all gone. And that was rough. But now I'm ready to talk about all of it in this series. And why am I talking about it? It's not because um, it's the most fun thing in the world for me to talk about. But because our stories matter. And I don't want people to feel sorry for me. Like I'm in a space where I've healed enough where, again, like I talked about, I'm talking about this from a scar, not from a wound. And I think sometimes when we talk from a wound, we're talking in a way where we want other people to fix it for us, to help heal us. And I'm going to share in this next episode um, what my healing journeys look like. And I don't need anything from anyone else to make my healing complete. I'm not looking for that as I share this story um what i'm sharing i my hope is if my story can help even just one person not feel alone or as hopeless or as directionless during their healing process i'm more than willing to talk about it so i know our stories matter there's so much awkwardness and uncertainty and stigma about talking about miscarriage well i know i won't do it perfectly but i'm going to do my very best to bring this conversation to the forefront because When we walk through grief, I know you shouldn't feel alone. So the last few months of my healing, I've been led to continue to progress, to teach in the studio, to continue my progress there. So while teaching in person is still not an option where I live, I do. I really love teaching and I love connecting to my community and moving together, even if it has to be virtually. I've talked to so many midwives and doulas who want their clients to have this functional movement option that isn't just focused on getting their heart rate up or maintaining their weight, but have seen the power of a body being prepared for birth and postpartum healing and want that their clients to have access to these tools to that help them know how to nourish their bodies with functional movement. So in addition to creating this class series in my online studio, I also decided I would be really exciting. It would be really exciting. I would be really exciting. (laughs) It would be really exciting to have a team to invite you into that process. And because you're the one who are on the ground, boots on the ground, doing the work with your clients. And so I want to partner with you in supporting your clients because we can't all have the same skill set. I mean, I refer out to my community all the time. And so I created an affiliate program and it's a thank you from me. If you send your clients my way and you entrust them with me, you can get 30% of all the sales made through your referrals. So I make this process super simple and easy and I'm excited to work as a team to support this community. So if this is something you'd be interested in if you think your clients would really benefit from, uh, you can find the link in the show notes. Uh, at thrivingbirthworker.com or you can go to the bottom of my website aaronunderwoodmovement.com and if you scroll all the way to the bottom of the page there's an affiliate uh, program tab right there that will just give you all the info of how to apply. So also I created a new pretty website. I've been working on that for the last month and I created a really fun free quiz that gives you a personalized three-part mini course where you can start to deepen your functional movement practice, just kind of helps you dial in what your starting point is. And so this would be an awesome free resource, yeah, for you, but also for your clients. So it's nice to be excited again. It's nice to be back and able to focus not just on my own survival, but serving and connecting. So just thank you so much for showing up and being willing to have the hard conversations about things that are uncomfortable, but that truly matter. And I just want to pause and genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for holding space for my story. I am very grateful and honored to have you share that space, to hold that space, to bear witness to my grief, because that is a huge gift that we can give to people. I mean, like I said earlier, there isn't much we can do to fix it, but connection is what is so important. So for you to bear witness to that, my grief is just such a gift. So thank you. So I hope to connect with you next week. Bye for now. The information and discussion provided on this podcast are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, you should consult with an appropriately licensed physician or a healthcare provider.